A little more than two weeks ago, we were sitting in this very space, feeling perhaps a variety of emotions, from sadness to guilt, perhaps pain or loss. And that makes it easier, I think, to picture the two companions in our gospel reading today. Only one is named, and it is left up to us to imagine who Cleopas's companion might be, perhaps his wife, a friend, could just as easily be you or me, if we had been witnesses to all that had happened. And it becomes very easy for us to insert ourselves into the story, to be walking and talking with our friend or spouse or sibling, perhaps, and feeling that same sadness and despair that they no doubt were feeling as they returned home from Jerusalem. And as these two are walking along, we aren't even sure if they notice the stranger that approaches until he inserts himself into the conversation. He's pretty nosy, really, when he asks them, what are you discussing as you're walking along? And we know from different stories in the Bible that even back in those days, it was not always wise or even safe to talk to strangers, especially about something as controversial as the crucifixion of Jesus. What if this person was a Roman? You had to be careful. But for some reason, this pair doesn't seem threatened by the question. They are surprised, so surprised that they stop in their tracks. They stood still, looking sad. And perhaps their surprise, coupled with their grief, allows them to let down some of their guard, and they describe to Jesus all that has happened in the past three days. They tell him their story. And then, instead of providing words of comfort or understanding, Jesus chastises them, calling them foolish and slow of heart. And he goes on to straighten them out by telling them not just one or two things, but by recounting and interpreting all the prophecies about himself from Moses onward, so that they can better understand the scriptures. Now, after spending the day with this stranger, our two travelers might have been more than ready to let him go on his way, and Jesus provides that opportunity for them. But instead, they offer hospitality to this stranger. In fact, they urge him strongly to stay with them, and he agrees. So now they aren't just allowing the stranger to walk with them. They are inviting him in, offering a meal and a place to stay. And there is this subtle shift in the roles our characters are playing in this story because as they enter the house, it is the stranger who becomes the host. It is the stranger who performs the four integral acts of table fellowship. It is the stranger who takes, blesses, breaks, and gives the bread to these disciples. And then, and this next part happens really fast, their eyes are opened and they recognize him and he vanishes from their sight. And suddenly everything is different. They are transformed, and all that information that Jesus has been talking about suddenly makes sense. And the two recognize the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is not the end of his ministry, as they had feared, but instead it's the means of their redemption, that through his death, Israel is redeemed. But until they hear that story and until they experience the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and shared, only then can they see Jesus' transformation from stranger to savior. 
and only then are they transformed from knowing nothing to understanding everything. It is as though a switch is flipped and everything that was dark is light again and this stranger really is the Messiah. And as we hear these words, we might try and imagine if anything like that has ever happened in our lives. Have we ever experienced that sort of transformation? And perhaps there was a time or a place when God's word interrupted us or stopped us in our tracks. Perhaps there was a moment when a whole string of random events or stories suddenly made sense. What was it about that moment that opened our eyes and allowed us to see through that new lens? There have been two such moments in my life, and the first was when I heard my call to ordained ministry. To hear that, you'll have to go across the street after the service. Um, But the second was perhaps a year later, and I was walking, not on the road to Emmaus, but on a street right outside my house, and my companion was my dog, Josie. And I had been using these early morning walks to pray and ponder, and I was using the time to formulate my plans for my life in case plan A, that of becoming a priest, didn't work out. And my mind was racing a mile a minute, hatching one idea after the next, when a voice, not in my head, a voice in my ear, said, stop. And I was too caught up in my own thoughts to pay much attention to it, but Josie did, and she stopped and sat down right in front of me, and I almost tripped over her because she just parked herself and was staring at me. And I started to yank on the leash and tell her, let's get going. And the voice again said, just stop. And that was it. It was a very convincing voice. So I agreed, okay, I'll stop. And I got the dog to start walking again. And I stopped making plan B and C and D. And I listened to the voice and understood that I needed to trust in God and what he was having me do. That was really the first time I had turned something over to God. And instead of being scary, giving up that control was a relief. And I realized two things on that walk. The first, what is apparently my dog can hear the voice of God. (laughs) And the second is that even when we think we are alone, we aren't. God is there, Jesus is there with us on every road at every moment, and that in any of those moments, or in all of those moments, we are meant to lean on him and to let him walk with us and to allow him to transform us into the Christians that he wants us to be. Well, that was all great. Don't get me wrong, and it's tempting for me to just end my sermon right here, all tidy and buttoned up. God talks and appears, intervenes in our lives, and we listen, and all is right with the world. Amen. But life is rarely tidy or buttoned up, and it's hard to think of a time when all was right with the world. And after my dog walk one-on-one with God, when my plan A, which was now my only plan, hit bumps, as our plans often do, I kind of expected that God would be speaking with me on a more regular basis, sort of popping in, you know, to set me straight, to tell me to turn left or right or turn around, whenever I was headed in the wrong direction. I wanted some Jesus GPS, (laughs) live and in real time, to be with me 24-7. And when that didn't happen, it was discouraging. And like many of us, when we get discouraged, 
I started to question whether or not God really is with us all the time, in every place. Because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Just turn on the news. Where is God? Where is Jesus in all of this turmoil and tragedy and evil that is out in the world right now? We are carrying some heavy burdens. We need God to be around us and to help us. What road is he walking on? Where can we find him? Why isn't he here with us? The same way he was there with Cleopas and his plus one. When I first looked at this passage, I wondered why the two travelers weren't worried or upset when Jesus just disappeared, when he vanished from their sight, only moments after they recognized him. Didn't they want him to stay? Didn't they have a million questions for him? Weren't, they weren't his closest disciples. They weren't part of that 11. And they may have spent very little, if any, time with Jesus before his death. Didn't they want to get to know him better? And the instant they recognized him, poof, he's gone. Aren't they disappointed? Shouldn't they go looking for him? They aren't, and they don't. Instead, they rejoice. They hurry back to Jerusalem, their hearts on fire to share the good news. And as I considered their actions in those moments just after Jesus' departure, something occurred to me. Sure, we might all have one or two or maybe more of those moments in our lives on our own roads to Emmaus where we are aware enough or tuned in enough or lucky enough to meet Jesus or hear his voice or have some other truly memorable experience. But this passage shows us something more, that the key to that something more is not the appearance, but the disappearance of Jesus from the home of our two travelers, especially the timing of that disappearance. Jesus' actions that day, the interpretation of the scriptures, and then the taking, blessing, breaking, and giving of that meal, those actions and that sustenance are all the two need in order for their hearts to burn and for their spirits to be lifted and for their lives to be energized, so energized that they basically run back to Jerusalem to find the others. Jesus didn't join them in order to be their celebrity guest. He was going there after death, as he was in life, as a teacher. He was teaching with words and actions all that they needed to know in order to carry on his work. And we, right here in our own little corner of the globe, all of those things are available to us right here. We too can share in reading and studying and understanding the scriptures, and we too can partake of that feast. We have right here in our bulletins the Word of God and Holy Communion. You might see them in other churches as the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Table, but they all mean the same thing, that we too can have our hearts burning with the knowledge and love of Christ, which includes knowing that he is with us on every road, in every home. And he is also ready, as he was that day on my quiet street, to take our worries and our problems. That doesn't mean he will solve them all or have things work out according to our plan, but he is listening. He is willing to share our burden. He might not jump out right in front of us to do it. And instead, we can find him through prayer and scripture and the Eucharist, 
we can invite him in and ask him to join our journey. But this is on us. Remember, both Cleopas and his companion would have remained in the dark, unaware that Christ was right there with them, had spent the day with them if they hadn't invited him in. He would have gone on his way. Think about what they would have missed. Think about what we might miss. We have to be ready to see Jesus in the stranger. We have to offer that hospitality, even when it seems inconvenient or strange or outside our comfort zone. We have to be willing to listen and learn and soak up all that Jesus has to teach us in whatever form it comes. In a few minutes, Father Edward will repeat those words of Jesus as he took, blessed, broke, and gave the bread and wine to his disciples and you will be invited to partake in that heavenly banquet. How will you be transformed? How will you fully realize the presence of God in your life?